you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy. Welcome back to Prairie Justice. This is Ranger Gord. Uh, welcome to episode 7. Today we're going to cover Action Comics number 46. Now, there's going to be a slight format change uh, today. I'm going to experiment with putting uh, your feedback and commentaries towards the back of the show. So it'll be well in advance, or well after, rather, of the uh, story and uh, the story notes and such. And I feel that... I tend to feel that the the feedback has been tend to becoming a bit of a ramble zone for myself. That's not uh, your fault or anybody else's fault. Uh, I just felt that in the interests of getting into the podcast and taking up some constructive criticism, and that'll just get it to us faster. So uh, that's all I have to say about that. Speaking of constructive criticism, I do have a couple of. Uh, one news item I wanted to report. Uh, I don't know anything more about the Stargirl Spring Break special. It's supposed to be coming up in May. That's going to have the Vigilante and the Seven Soldiers of Victory on the cover, other than it is coming up in May. So I haven't seen any more details on that, and that's spinning out of the Infinite Frontier uh, number zero. And I haven't checked back to see if uh, the Infinite Frontier number one is out, whether anything else popped out of that um, so there's that also something else that uh, I had meant to bring up to your attention on the last pay, uh, episode and I just sort of forgot about it uh, these online things that come and go now and then uh, but one in particular thing that I saw uh, was on the 13th dimension uh, page if you don't know what that is uh, 13th dimension is sort of a comic based uh, blog and a fairly uh, reliable one as well. In fact, probably the most reliable on the internet. And that's at 13thdimension.com and 13 as in the number. And uh, Paul Kupperberg, who you may know that name as a longtime DC writer. I remember him particularly as the creator of the New Doom Patrol back in Showcase, way back in 1977, I guess. And uh, of course, a lot of, of other stories, including the new novel, uh, I believe it's called Ragnarok, which is a Justice Society a novel, so you can pick that up on Amazon in whatever format you like to read. And uh, I have it on my, my tablet, and I haven't quite cracked into it yet, but I'm sure looking forward to that. Uh, but anyway, Paul had uh, an interesting article, my, my 13 Favorite Grey Morrow Comic Book Stories. Well, you know that I had to click on that because Grey Morrow was one of my first favorite vigilante artists. And uh, not to go through the entire article, I'll let you uh, find that your, yourself on the 13thdimension.com site. But he did cite World's Finest Comics number 245, DC, June-July 1977. And this, again, is one of my favorite ever vigilante stories. I read it as a boy, and uh, I just loved it. Um, editor Joe, in, under World's Finest, edited by Joe Orlando, Gray Morrow tackles the original Western version of the vigilante, well, of course, in a story called The Plague Makers, and several subsequent stories that were uh, written by Bill Kunkel. 
In just those few short backup stories, Morrow sets his rendition of Vigilante in my mind as the most definitive version. And that's Paul's words, and I agree 125%. And there is a bit of art from that uh, brief, I believe it was an eight-page story, that uh, shows Vig in action on his Electroglide motorcycle. And Gray Morrow is just incomparable. You know, it's it's like the man had the camera in his eye and just put it down on paper. Uh, he's got a pictures of a of a castle up on a on a slight rise, and the trees and the flora all around it just look like it was one of your vacation photos. And uh, Vidge himself is just drawn so realistically. Um, his hat flops back in the wind and. Occasionally it flops back in other ways, and it's got a great scene of one of Vigilante's classic moves to crash through a window while swinging on a rope, uh, which is, of course, established by Gray Mass... by, uh... First day with the New Lips, folks. Mort Meskin in the stories that we're reviewing as of now. Because it'll be a while before we get to this, uh... this Plague Maker story, but, uh... I urge you to go have a look at this. It's it's just great. And my second set of business is to correct a couple of errors that I've been making. One was I've been pounding the drum that the Seven Soldiers of Victory in leading comics in the 1940s were ne never actually called that. And in some ways I stand by that because DC still never made a big deal out of it on their covers or on their splash pages. And they certainly never ever had a, a logo but uh, as I've been reviewing our leading comics number two coming up, uh, the cover does indeed say the Seven Soldiers of Victory in this issue, but it's not real apparent out there. Like there's, It's not a huge logo, that sort of a thing. And it seems to be about the only time they do that on the covers, and they don't do it inside. So in some ways... Uh, you know, that was an assumption made on myself. I just happened to overlook that cover. I'm sorry for that. But I do sort of stand by that, that uh, DC never really named that team. And if they did, it was a very low-key thing. And the second one was a little bit more egregious. I was trying to... We were talking about Stuff, the Chinatown kid, who we introduced in the last uh, episode from Action Number 45. And I mentioned to you that in later years, such as in the 1990s, and the reason you're hearing rustling papers because I'm trying to find this, that the stuff's real name was Victor Leong. In fact, I think I said Vincent Leong on the the uh, podcast. And in fact, there were. This is all retroactive, post-crisis, timey-wimey continuity stuff, guys. But. The original stuff who we're reading right now was actually Danny Leong and Victor Leong was a, in fact, a brother who again is a retcon who makes up for certain happenings that will happen to Danny Leong, which I don't really wish to refer to in some uh, 1990 stories. So I apologize for those two errors. And uh, I now have it tattooed on my eyelids that uh, the stuff that we're going to be seeing in our, at least today, and in some subsequent stories, is in fact Danny Leong. 
And I never mentioned anything about that name, Leong. That is a very authentic uh, Chinese surname. And as I mentioned, that there were um, in the small towns that I grew up around in southern Alberta here, there were a lot of Chinese restaurants and such. And I do remember in the town where I went to school in, uh, there was a family named Leong who did run uh, the very popular Ming's restaurant in Vauxhall, Alberta. Anyway, I'm going to play a podcast promo and then we're going to get on with things. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Richard, Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? Welcome back. We're at Action Comics 46, uh, cover date March 1942, actual on sale date January 16th, 1942, and $0.10 cents once again for 64 pages, and that'll be pretty much the norm for a while, so if I forget to say it from time to time, don't take me up too much task. This is all available for reference, uh, your reference anytime you want, on Mike's Amazing World of comics and if you have never seen that site well just prepare to waste a lot of time and it'll be a grand time uh, there are six major stories within this comic uh, Superman Vigilante of course uh, the three aces Mr. America Congo Bill and Zatara and other features as we'll we'll look at here in a few moments in this month, you will find eight titles on the stands from DC or All-American. Uh, besides Action Comics, we'll have Adventure Comics that features Starman on the cover. We have All-American Comics featuring the Alan Scott Green Lantern on the cover. Detective Comics with Batman and Robin. Flash Comics with Hawkman on the cover because Hawkman and the Flash rotated. More Fun Comics with uh, Vidge's buddy Green Arrow on the cover. Sensation Comics with Wonder Woman still wearing the Star Spangled skirt and Star Spangled Comics number six and his colleagues Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy are on that cover. From Quality Comics we will have Crack Comics which with Black Condor, Feature Comics with the Dollman, Military Comics with Black Hawk, who else? Uh, National Comics with Uncle Sam, Police Comics with Good Old Plastic Man, and Smash Comics with Midnight, who is not the spirit, but looks a lot like him. And from Fawcett, which we will have uh, Bullet Man has his own title on the stands, Captain Marvel Adventures, Gift Comics number one. I have never heard of this one before, but it seems to have Cap on the title as well. Probably has something to do with with Christmas. Uh, Ibis the Invincible in his own title, number one, Master Comics, with Captain Marvel Jr., which is sort of the darker side of the uh, of the Shazam world. Wiz Comics, number 27, with Cap on the cover. 
and WoW Comics number five with Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. And these are all characters that you'd be associated with in the Golden Age milieu. And just for fun and, and, uh, and games, we might as well look at the Distinguished Competition. Marvel has five titles on the, on the stands. Captain America number 12. Comedy Comics number 9. Human Torch number 6. Joker Comics number 1. Marvel Mystery Comics number 29. And Submariner Comics number four. And when I say Marvel, uh, at the time, they are actually known as Timely. Even though the word Marvel kind of kicks around their titles, the actual Timely is the actual name of the company at this point in time. Of course, will become Marvel in about, oh, 20 odd years. So returning to Action Comics, Superman's on the cover, surprise. And Superman's at the fair, and he's about to save somebody on the roller coaster. And the story itself takes place in an amusement park, so that's something unusual to actually have what's happening on the cover actually be happening in the story. We have Superman of America column uh, with articles written by a gent named Clark Kent. And uh, he's basically giving you... Uh, whole lecture about buying bonds and um, telling you to be loyal to your school and to your country and such like that and all kinds of secret messages there's a one-page humor thing called super duper which is actually a ad a full-page ad for Canada Dry reminds me of an uncle who said when they came from the United States he got off the train said saw a sign that said drink Canada Dry and he'd been here ever since uh, of course, we have the Vigilante feature, which we're going to be talking to at length here. Uh, Clancy the Cop is back. And uh, Clancy the Cop is m makes appearances through uh, throughout Action Comics, at least in my mind. We have a one-page house ad. Actually, it's a half-page house ad uh, with a humor strip on the top called Smiles. The house ad tells you all about All-Star Comics and the issue of leading comics that we covered here a few issues back. We have the three aces who are no longer... Well, actually, I think at this point in time, they're still doing peacetime aviation. We haven't gotten quite into their wartime exploits yet because probably about the time that uh, this was in production, uh, the country wasn't at war. And we have uh, our good books worth reading with our council of our editorial advisory board and this week they're recommending Beowulf. Uh, we have Mr. America and Fat Man by Bernard Bailey and they are, oh, they're fighting the Iron Giant. I'm sure we'll never see that name in popularity ever again. Uh, Superman is in the movies. They're talking about uh, the Superman movies are faster than a straddle liner and in Technicolor too. You're telling me the Superman pictures hit the movie screen like an explosion. Now, when they say movies at this point in time, they are definitely talking about the Fleischer Superman shorts. And we have our text pieces. And it looks like Clancy the Cop is in action in this text piece. Congo Bill is daring us not to turn the page. Because apparently he's been taken over by the Mirror Universe, Congo Bill. Louis Logan, the toughest man on the river. And we'll flip through that. Oh, look, Congo Bill's back in the end of the story. And we have a page talking about Superman's radio show as it covers the continent. And they're t telling you all about the different radio stations that you can find. 
that are covering the Superman radio show and who their sponsor is. And uh, covering the continent means, oh goody, I can listen to it here on good old CGOC Lethbridge, Alberta that is, and CFAC Calgary. So hey, I bet my mom and dad are listening to this. I know my mom would have been listening to this at the time. And she probably would have been listening to it on CJOC. So that's very cool to see those radio stations in an American comic. Zatara, the master musician. Master musician. Master magician. Uh, Zatanna's dad, of course. And uh, Zatara's definitely at war. And he's fighting some, uh, what looks to be some Nazi tanks. And, uh, and there appears to be Russian tanks. So he's somewhere here on the Eastern Front. That's interesting. I guess he hasn't heard about the Spear of Destiny. He's not supposed to be over there. You're a, mag- you're a magic-based hero, Zatara. But it is kind of neat to see uh, a magician in a pinstripe suit and a top hat and tuxedo tails chasing Hitler. Oh, spoilers. He turns a chair into an octopus to, to, to beat up Hitler. And we have more house ads for uh, some of our quarterlies. Green Lantern... Who had his own? That's Alan Scott, of course. Batman, All Star Comics, Mutt and Jeff, and All Flash Quarterly. Free to men who want bomber power. We have the Great Muscle Power ad, and that's what's in that issue of Action Comics besides Vigilante. Our story today, edited by Frederick Frederick Whitney Ellsworth. You'd think I'd know how to say that name by now. Crimes in color, and we're 12 pages. We're, we've lost a page. We don't know what it's due to, but we have been had some 13-page stories if Vigilante, and now we're back down to 12, so I guess we don't see any more neat split-screen uh, splash pages from Mort Meskin. That's too bad. Our writer is Mort Weisinger, and our artist is Mort Meskin, and we don't seem to be um, naming a inker at this point in time so maybe Mort's doing it himself and we're still signing it as Mort Morton Jr. so I am again going with my theory that uh, that is a double pseudonym for the two Morts and this is going to be our first appearance of a long-going villain named the Rainbow Man when I say long-going villain don't go running to your who's who omnibus to look for the Rainbow Man. He won't be in there. He's only a, strictly a vigilante villain, but he will appear by my count, and this could be more, at least nine times throughout Vigilante's run. So he's kind of sort of on his way to becoming the uh, the main arch villain, even though we think of the dummy as that, uh, that regards. And I think he's probably pretty close to appearances as far as the dummy is concerned. Only the Rainbow Man just didn't seem to get out of the 1950s the way that the dummy did. And we also have a secondary villain called the Dictionary, and I just don't know how to define the Dictionary. He's also a.k.a. Billy Deegan. And other members of the Rainbow Gang are going to be Dinky and Dixie, and of course Stuff's grandfather Lin Chu, and that tells us that we're also going to be seeing our second appearance of Stuff who is named in this comic as for the first time as the Chinatown Kid. And now, on with our story. The Rainbow Man, 
a king of color who uses the brilliant hues of the prism to reap a crime harvest. Lurid red and dazzling green. Paint the big city with doom when the vigilante aced lawman of the range pits his western wits and weapons against the rainbow man in the adventure of Crimes in Color. High noon in front of the city's leading bank. Hello, sir. I'm Billy Deegan, the roving photographer. I'm interviewing bank guards. Gosh, you'll take my picture, too? Sure, fire away. Okay, buddy. You asked for it. The camera snaps death, for a cunningly concealed gun springs leaden doom. Come on, you guys. Let's play grab bag. Inside the bank, roaring guns blast a challenge at law and order. Appropriate the currency, Dicky. If you mean snatch the green, I get ya. Moments later, the trio of desperados race for their getaway car. This job was a cinch. The Rainbow Man sure knows how to plan things. Stop, you murderers! Stop them, somebody! They won't get far. I'll phone the police. A description of that getaway car. They'll get him. That getaway car rockets down the street, rounds a corner on two wheels, then the screech of brakes. There's a bus. Time to transfer, boys. Quite propitious. Yes, quite propitious. A dictionary, which is stop slinging them big words. It gets on my nerves. Lightning leaps, and a split second later, the crime trio is safe aboard the sightseeing bus. These wax dummies look like real passengers, eh, Dictionary? You utter words of verity, my astute friend. The huge crimson vehicle threads its way through the snarling traffic. Be on lookout for small black sedan. Three robbers making getaway. How did they expect us to find a small car in all this traffic? Now, if we had to find a red bus like that one, our job would be a lot softer. Later, the three racketeers report to their leader. That mysterious underworld chieftain known as the Rainbow Man. We brought home the bacon, boss. Using that red bus for our getaway sure was nifty. The color red has served us well. Our combination of color and crime will reap us a fortune. The czar of color points a bony finger at a bank of varied colored lights. Lights that glow with all the brilliant colors of the rainbow. Green is the next color you will use to confuse these stupid police. Now listen. Wait a minute, boss. Why don't you come with us on one of these jobs? Why should we do all the work and take all the risks? You'd rather stay here, eh, Dixie? All right, you can stay here. Permanently. <laughs> you see what I mean. An hour later, in the heart of the city's busiest traffic zone. Five minutes later, and the amazed motorists are witness to a major traffic jam as cars converge from all corners. As all traffic lights simultaneously turn to... Green! The lights must be stuck or something. They're all green! 
Nearby, the henchmen of the Rainbow Man exit from a jewelry store. Stop! Ah! Resistance is futile, old man. Cut the job and get into that motorcycle. The dictionary and his henchmen stride a motorcycle with a sidecar. A green motorcycle with a sidecar. The small vehicle expertly weaves its way through the tangled traffic. A great idea. The boss is fixing it so all the lights stay green. Nobody can follow us in this jam. Except that minion of the law yonder on that motorcycle, and I'm arresting his activities. The crashing sound of gunfire draws Greg Sanders, the prairie troubadour, to the window of his hotel room. Bushwhackers. Looks like a job for a fella I know. I can do this better on a rope. And I think I will. Repelling from the window on his lariat, the vigilante commandeers the fallen policeman's motorcycle. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this broadcast to let you know that this is a milestone in the career of the vigilante. On this page, in Action Comics 46, page 4 of the vigilante story, panel 9, the vigilante for the first time dons a motorcycle in pursuit of criminals. While this is the first time we see him astride a motorized horse, it certainly shall not be the last we shall see of such a steed. We return you now to our drama already in progress. A roar of the motor and the vigilante rockets off after the fugitive criminals. This jalopy snorts worse than a bucking bronc, but it won't throw me if I can help it. Steel-jacketed bullets whistle screamingly past the western warrior as the mad chase continues. Home on the range was never like this. Suddenly, the flash of the ace lawman's twirling lariat. Help! I'm a goner! Compose yourself, pal. Monkeen blade severs this hemp, so... Thanks, dictionary. Nearer, nearer, ever nearer. The vigilante approaches the fleeing bandits. Suddenly, as the two vehicles are parallel to each other... There's more than one way to skin a polecat. Hey! The vigilante catapults himself at the criminals. Just like bulldog and a steer. An iron fist hammers against an unshaven jaw. This is for speeding. If I had to tangle with a cowboy, why couldn't it have been a dude like the Prairie Troubadour? Suddenly, as the vigilante drives home another trip hammer blow, this cart is going to upset the vigilante's apple cart. Like frightened rats, the two desperados scurry for the nearest hole, a descending sidewalk elevator. This elevator will take us where we want to go. Oh, too late. Later. My men have searched this building from cellar to rooftop, and we can't find any trace of those crooks. A clever gang like that'll strike again. And then we'll get them. And in one of the apartments of that building. Those obtuse police have relinquished their search. Yeah, hiding in that secret closet sure done the trick. Grain did the job for us, all right. <laughs> Let's see, what color shall we use next? Elsewhere in the city, in the colorful Chinatown district, 
A serious-eyed oriental youth studies the headlines. So they led the vigilante on a wild goose chase. Mm, that gives me an idea. Later. Where are you going, Stuff? Don't you worry your noodle about me, Gramp. By the bones of my ancestors, young Stuff must be hunting trouble again with the honorable vigilante. Presently, the Chinatown kid stands before the apartment house that harbors the crooks. Smith's Weekly, only five cents a copy. Those thugs must be in that building somewhere. Boy, will the vigilante be proud of me when, he fi when I find those rats. Young Stuff begins ringing doorbells. Only five cents a copy, ma'am. Won't you buy one? Mm, I'm sorry, but I just subscribed. I said the latest issue of Smith's Weekly is only a nickel. Hey, pickles? No, I don't want any. The youth's voice penetrates into the next apartment. Latest issue of Smith's Weekly. Smith's Weekly, my favorite periodical. I must peruse the latest issue. Here, kid, you may retain the change. Thanks, mister. He's wearing a rod. He must be one of the mobsters. Suddenly! You fool! I told you not to open the door under any circumstances. Grab that kid. He's seen too much. I'm grieved to do this, but the prevailing exigencies compel my current behavior. Let me go, you big stiff. Here's some reading matter. Free! Oh, oh, the youngster is spirited. And you had that coming to you, Dictionary. You certainly did. But you, my brat, know too much. Entirely too much. You're staying here with us until the heat cools off. Talk is cheap, you small-time punk. My pal, the vigilante, will pulverize you. Later. Hey, boss. That kid is going to call for help. Shall I plug him? Station WLAB, I'd like to speak to Mr. Greg Saunders. No, you dimwit. He's getting Saunders to tell the vigilante to come here. And when he does, we'll be ready for him. So, Mr. Saunders, tell the veg to come right away. All right, Stuff. I'll tell him. Pronto. A cruel blow from behind. This does it. And we'll be ready for that cowboy friend of yours when he shows up. Only split seconds later, a lithe figure leaps over the city's rooftops. The Vigilante. Easy does it. Presently... That's it, below. The Range Rider's momentum catapults him into death's maw. Surprise! Mop him up, bitch! Mop him up! Mm. We've been expecting you. But you might have chosen a less spectacular entrance. Silencers dull the sound as bullets are blasted at the vigilante. Goodbye, vigilante. What? You going somewhere? Abruptly, the flash of the Western Warrior's ever-ready lariat. I'll take those toys, fellas. You might hurt someone. Huh? But the vigilante's speed proves his own undoing. The guns crash into the mirror over his head and... Uh-oh. Too many vitamins. The killers take advantage of his momentary distraction. 
A swift flashing blow fells the lion-hearted vigilante. Later, head throbbing with a dull ache, the vigilante returns to consciousness. So, you finally opened your eyes, eh, vigilante? Well, they're going to stay open. I'll paste your eyelids back with a few strips of tape. Huh? Still groggy? What's he saying? Presently. Nobody can deny you haven't your eyes wide open. <laughs> you won't miss a thing when my rainbow globe starts shining. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I'm gonna miss is giving you a poke in the snoot. A switch is pressed. Color. Gleaming beautiful color. To light up my crimes. The Rainbow Man will burn a new chapter in crimes annals. Come on, boys. We move fast. White is the next color we will use to confuse the police. <laughs> yes, the whole city will be surprised by the doctors in white. <laughs> Left alone, the Western Wadi and Young Stuff are helpless before the maddening effect of the diabolical Rainbow Globe. It's getting to me, Vidge. The lights are driving me mad. If only I could shut my eyes. Easy there, Stuff. There has to be a way out. Let me think. Let me think. Minutes crawl by, and still the hypnotic glares of scarlet, indigo, and emerald spotlight the two comrades with their sinister glow. Uh, I've got to think of a way out. Uh I've got to. The mad medley of colors make a kaleidoscope of the vigilante's thoughts, and suddenly an idea is born. I got it, Stuff. Only a slim chance, but it may work. My spurs, they may save us yet. Metal hammers against metal as the Western Wadi puts his strategy into operation. Get it, kid? I can just stretch my foot enough so that the spur on my boot taps the radiator here. And you'll keep tapping until someone in the building hears your SOS? I hope it works. SOS, the universal signal of distress. And the vigilante spur pounds out the code over and over. Will someone in the building hear the rhythmic pounding of steel against steel and interpret its meaning? Only the fates know. Meanwhile, in a secret garage, the Rainbow Man prepares for his latest coup. You men are new, but you will learn that I plan every job efficiently. Your white uniforms and that white ambulance will help us make our getaway. I get you. The cops will think that this whole thing is a publicity stunt for that motion picture, Doctors in White. Sirens screaming the make-believe ambulance roars through traffic to roll up before the celebrity mob theater. Ladies and gentlemen, we're live for the star-studded premiere of Doctors and White. What a clever stunt. I say, what will they think of next? Suddenly, this will get you publicity in the papers, lady. Help! Yes, this is a stick-up. You shouldn't wear a $100,000 necklace in public. Things are popping here, folks. We've been held up by the Rainbow Man. I'm not kidding. Abruptly, the flash of lightning and the roar of thunder as the black clouds pour rain. It's starting to rain, folks. 
Alright boys, let's get going. We've got what we came for. Another mighty thunderclap. And with it miraculously appears that dynamic team, The Vigilante and Young Stuff. The Vigilante! Folks, the miracle has happened. The Vigilante has shown up and he's going to town. Stand up and fight like a man. That was Young Stuff you just heard, folks. Better known as the Chinatown Kid. Savage thunder and lashing rain stage a strange background for the grim battle. The only color you rats can see now is yellow, right? Folks, this is not a hoax. This is a blow-by-blow -blow description of a battle royal between the Vigilante and the Rainbow Man's mobsters. I'll bring you Lily's chum. This is utterly preposterous. Fantastical. It's all over now, folks. Don't forget to buy Gordon's pills. Well, the police will finish from here. Lucky the janitor in that building heard the tapping of the radiator. Yeah, and it's a good thing you remembered that Doctors in White was playing at the theater. Later, as the brief thunderstorm subsides, strange enigmatic fate ends the Rainbow Man's career with a colorful symbol of her own. Look, Vig. Right stuff. But there's no pot of gold at the end of it for the Rainbow Man. The Vigilante gets together with the Green Arrow, the Star-Spangled Kid, the Shining Knight, and the Crimson Avenger in a complete adventure story in leading comics. Now on sale at newsstands everywhere. Oh, you can color my world with sunshine yellow each day. Yes, you can color my world with happiness all the way. Just take So let's take a little musical break with Greg Sanders' Rodeo Radio, and we're going to hear Color My World by Miss Barbara Fairchild. Now you also may know this song, or may have heard it, done by a more popular artist, uh, popular as in uh, pop music, uh, Petula Clark, who I certainly wouldn't discount a Petula Clark song, but... Uh, Barbara Fairchild is son of an old favorite of mine from when I was a kid uh, growing up in the 1970s. And I'm still a fan of 1970s country music, even though country music has kind of gone by the wayside for me. But uh, I was glad to see you doing a little Google food to see that Barbara Fairchild is still at it, even though you probably won't hear her on any, any charts. She now sticks mostly probably to the Christian gospel side of the uh, equation. Um, she has still 70 years old, just turned 70 in November, but she has been at it since she was 13 years old. She born in 1950, cut her first single at 15 years old. That's just amazing. And, uh, moved to Nashville in 1968 at 18 and was discovered and, and signed with MCA Records. Worked with producer Billy Sherrill, who was sort of a legend in Nashville at that point in time. Uh, most associated with Tammy Wynette. Uh, she was re-signed to Columbia Records 1969 and had a string of hits that I certainly remember um, through the early 1970s. Uh, things like uh, Love is a Gentle Thing, uh, Thanks for the Memories, Love's Old Song. And her biggest hit in 1973 was the Teddy Bear song that uh, peaked at number 32. And you also might remember that song covered by Barbie Benton. 
And if you don't know who Barbie Benton is, well, let's just say sometimes Barbie Benton was uncovered. Uh, she was a, uh, a girlfriend of a man named Hefner. But back to Barbara Fairchild. Uh, as I said, uh, she has sort of fallen by the wayside as far as the mainstream country charts has. As She now lives in, well, Branson, Missouri, which seems to be the home of the, uh, of the Christian gospel sort of a thing. And I haven't listened to any of her things that she has on now, but she still has a web page, and like I said, she's still recording. And I do remember this Color of the World song my childhood and hearing it often on the radio so when we decided we were doing the rainbow man and i started to hit uh things like color and rainbow in my google searches well this was one that came up and uh, it was just fun to hear barbara fairchild again so color my world you'll never see a dark cloud hanging around now there is only blue sky to surround me There's never been a gray day since you found me Everything I touch is turning to gold So you can color my world with sunshine yellow each day Just as long as I know you're thinking of me There'll be a rainbow always up above me Since I found the one who really loves me Everything I touch is turning to gold So you can color my world with sunshine yellow each day Oh, you can color my world with happiness all the way Color my world Sunshine, yellow, orange blossom Laughing faces everywhere la, la, la. Oh, you can color my world with sunshine yellow each day Yes, you can color my world with happiness all the way Color my world. Color my world. Color my world. Mm -hmm. And now Ranger Gord's observations, calculations, ruminations, and criticisms, and thoughts and prayers on this story, The Colors, Crimes in Color, The Colorful Crimes, and uh, the first appearance of the Rainbow Man. Well, we begin with the splash page, and there's, there's a bit to say here. 
Um, it's another great splash page, single splash this time. I guess we're done with double double spread splashes uh, since we're down to 12 pages and even page counts now. Over a, blo a block of black, that's hard to say, uh, we have a, the Vigilante's ever-changing logo. He's got a different one again. Uh, sort of a serif style, very light uh, on the tail ends. Uh, we have five disembodied heads. And if you remember those old Avengers comics from back in, oh, you know, 1960s, 70s, where one of the Avengers would be doing something on their own. And uh, the artist wanted to observe that this was a group book. So you'd see pictures of, you know, the Vision or Captain America or Hawkeye, Iron Man and such. And they're looking down, glowering, sort of disembodied. Uh, that's what we have here. I don't know if this is the first time this has been done in a comic or not. It, probably not. You know, by 42, we've had uh, a lot of issues to go through. So I don't know if this is a Mexican invention or not. But uh, the disembodied heads are all of the same person. And that person is the Rainbow Man, of course. And he's a bizarre character, uh, wears a monocle. We'll describe his, uh, his costume, as it were, later on. And every one of these disembodied heads is uh, it's glowing in an aura. The auras are all of a different color, and the heads themselves are all of a different color. Left to right, we get orange, yellow, blue. There's, I guess when you look at it and look at the way the, uh, the logo is shaped, they're making a rainbow. So that's very interesting. Uh, probably more interesting than the Rainbow Man actually is. And then below that, we have the Vigilante in a crouching position that is very, very familiar. I'll explain that in a minute. He's in a big, pale yellow spotlight, or bright yellow spotlight, rather. Uh, behind him is a... Wanted poster, wanted the Rainbow Man with his picture on it. And it's from there on you get all sorts of uh, little more Mexican sort of details. Um, in the moonlight in the corner, you know, there's, uh, there's the shadow of a goon with a cigarette in his mouth, an automatic in his hand sneaking up on the vigilante. All you see is a shadow. And then you see the vigilante's shadow. Uh, over against a trash can that is painted blue and there's all kinds of trash and newspapers piling out of there and behind that is one of those old wood-burning stoves and it even has the chimney on it so you know why there's a wood-burning stove and it's up against a brick wall so you see the odd red brick uh, in a minimalist fashion giving the the idea that this is very crime noirish and the newspaper and Rainbow Man strikes again. And there's something sitting on the paper. Can't quite make it out what it is. Now, this Mexican drawing is very familiar. And I'm not sure if he's imitating one of his earlier drawings or if the other drawing is imitating this. Now, the reason I say this, there's a Mexican drawing that has gone around the internet and I use it on as the in my logo for my uh, the podcast. If you get it on Apple Podcasts and uh, the Prairie Justice logo, um, I sort of uh, crop out a detail of this 
of the vigilante and it's much more pronounced in this original drawing and in this original the wanted poster is vigilante himself wanted dead or alive signed the underworld and it's signed mort maskin and again more newspapers scrawling around and there seems to be what is a uh a bottle with a sort of a southwestern um, style of a native print on it. I've seen the various descriptions of where this comes from and somebody said it was a character sketch that Meskin did in order to try to sell to the higher-ups at DC on the idea of this story. You know, uh, Mort Weisinger assigns him, goes, hey, I want to make this thing about a cowboy, draw it for me. And this is what Meskin comes with, up with. And based on this, this is, uh, consider it up like a pilot for a TV series. The drawing itself, I guess, is in a private collection. Um, if you, there's a book out called From Shadows to Light, which is a, sort of a biography of the art of Meskin, Meskin himself, and they have this on page 29. By the way, you can get this book on Amazon. It's fairly pricey, but you can actually can get it on, uh, what do you call it? digital, you know, for about a third of the price, and I did download the digital. I never did buy the original, but on page 29 is this sketch, character design sketch. Uh, it says, in the collection of Ethan Roberts. So that's about all I know about that sketch. And it's it's floated around the internet. And I guess this character design, the original of it, is so old, it's even got pieces of uh, tape that have browned off in the corner, and the paper itself has browned off significantly, so it really looks like an artifact of its time. So I advise you to go look around for that. Um, you, it's probably not too hard to find if you just g do a Google Images search, a vigilante pinup. So that's what this spread is either impersonating or vice versa. I don't really know the chronology of what happened when. So <laughs> that got me done with page one. <laughs> I usually don't spend that much time on the splash page. Sorry, folks. Uh, this character, the dictionary, uh, Billy Deegan, just to describe him, if you're familiar not to bring up a bad name or cause anybody any heartache with a man by the name of Roger Stone. He's that uh, political actor that, uh, for better or for worse, and I, I would say worse, got Donald Trump elected. And he's basically a Republican mover and shaker. He's been in and out of prison several times. There's a documentary on Netflix if you can stomach anything more about the Trump administration at this point in time. It's called Get Me Roger Stone, and it's actually a very amusing documentary to watch. And Stone is really a lot like this guy. Stone, for real life, dresses like a 1940s gangster. So, you know, he's letting you know right there who he is. And uh, the look of this guy, he's got white hair, those round glasses, and a really loud checkered tweed suit. But, you know what, when I was deciding what voice to use... The fact that he's calling himself the dictionary, all I could think of was Roddy McDowell and the Bookworm from the Batman TV series. And that's not all I'm going to lift from the Dozier series in this story. And he uses that old gimmick. We've seen this twice so far that I remember. I want to say it's the third time we saw it as well. But basically there's a gun inside a camera. 
So <laughs> there's somebody in the underworld in Vigilante's life that's uh, hollowing out cameras and putting guns in them. And uh, this is a Rainbow Man crime. So basically we have a... He, he's doing things on the basis of one color per crime. And this time we're on red. And how does the red figure in? Well, they get out of the bank in a blue car, in a very high-powered roadster, and then they jump into a red bus. And, of course, nobody's looking for these crooks on a red bus. So there's your red. And it's sort of like that as this goes on. We'll go to uh, the R Rainbow Man seems to pull the idea of these crimes he basically does a lottery with a bunch of different colored light bulbs he pulls a switch and whatever uh, light comes on that's what they're going how they're going to do the crime very Batman 66 esque so <laughs> Dozer must have read a lot of comics because these are the similar motifs in just about every superhero comic you see especially the ground level ones and when we get back to the hideout, we do meet the Rainbow Man. He hasn't come along on this crime. Um, if you're familiar with the Avengers villain or the Ant-Man villain, the Egghead, he's very, look very similar to that. He's sort of got the bald Colonel Clink look. He wears a monocle, pencil-thin mustache. Um, his costume is he's wearing a, a mauve tuxedo complete with a bow tie. And he's got a cape. And it's sort of a half cape. It's not a full-length cape. It kind of goes maybe halfway down his back with a little Dracula collar on it. And what color is this cape? All I can say to that is yes. It's all of the colors. Oh, let's face it, folks. He's wearing the rainbow flag. He's wearing the pride flag. So I'll just put that out there. And... Uh, the fact that he hires a gangster named Dinky, well, we'll just let that hang. And yes, he does have the voice of Egghead. And it's the Egghead from the Batman TV show that I'm talking about. And yes, the voice of Vincent Price, or at least my best approximation of it. I've never seen any professional impressionist could ever do Vincent Price's voice. I try, folks. I really try. And there's another criminal named Dixie. Well, you know, it's not fashionable to use the word Dixie these days, so the Rainbow Man, he cancels Dixie. His ticket is pert, is uh, punched when Dixie protests about uh, not having the Rainbow Man go in the crimes. So the next we go to Green. And what do we do with the Green? He seems to have a... Uh, a way to, to uh, get into the uh, New York City traffic system and he changes all of the lights to green. No matter what way you're going, you're going to hit a green light. And let's face it, folks, none of us know what to do with a traffic light anyway, so everybody stops and just honks, honks, honks. And so how does uh, the dictionary and the rest of the criminals get away? Well, they've got a motorcycle with a sidecar. A policeman tries to chase him on a motorcycle. Uh, the, the dictionary guns him down. And this is where we meet Greg. And Greg jumps on the policeman's motorcycle. And yes, this is the first time, as uh, the bulletin announced us in within the story, that we're going to see Greg Saunders, the vigilante, on a motorcycle. Uh, so we'll, we look forward to the day when Vig gets his own motorbike. Hopefully he's... Uh, 
caught the bud from this and is tired of running all over the city in his cowboy boots and spurs. So there's a good motorcycle chase. Vidge is twirling Lariat. He never misses, even though he's riding a bike. That's uh, very interesting. Uh, I don't know if how many people have ever thrown a rope, but usually you throw it with... It depends on whether you're left-handed or right-handed, which is very interesting because if you know on a motorbike, your accelerator, you usually have to use your right hand. So how he chases and uses this rope, well, I guess uh, Vidge must be ambidextrous. And it makes no matter because uh, Dictionary comes out with a very uh, sharp knife. My keen blade severs this hemp sew. And yes, that tells us it's a hemp rope, folks. It must be legal at this point in time. It's now legal in Canada. Coming to a state near you. Uh, Vidge says there's more than one way to skin a polecat. Well, Vidge, um, I don't ever want to skin a polecat. A polecat is a skunk. So, uh, Vidge, you, uh, you skin your own polecats. Now, uh, interesting that the dictionary and uh, Dinky get away using uh, upsetting the apple cart and then jumping into an elevator. So imagine that. He, uh, they had a high-speed motorcycle chase, and then we stop and we get away with an elevator. And there's no elevator chase because the building that he's jumped into happens to be their hideout. And uh, apparently Rainbow Man has all sorts of little hideouts and closets for people to, to get into. So Green Job was successful. And now we cut to Tourer in Chinatown at Lin Chu's house. Where's Stuff? And by the way, this is the first time he is named as the Chinatown Kid. And apparently, we didn't know this in the last uh, episode, Stuff is a paperboy. And Stuff um, schleps papers. Uh, he's telling his, uh, his uncle Lin Chu, or grandfather Lin Chu, who is not fooled by his paper boy trick. He knows that he's going out to, uh, to make, make tr hunting trouble again with the honorable vigilante. So Stuff hits the street. The Smiths Weekly. Now this is interesting. I really kind of wondered if this was uh, an actual paper, or if this is something from Weisinger's mind. So I did a little Google Foo, and I come up with an, a couple of samples. And there was, in fact, a paper called the Smiths Weekly. It uh, ran from 1919 to 1950. Unfortunately, it was a uh, tabloid published in Sydney, Australia, but read all over Australia. Now, I and apparently was, uh, had a reputation as being a, a very anti-fascist paper. Uh, so, you know, that Weisinger would, that would be really up his aisle. It could be that Weisinger may have seen a copy of the Smiths Weekly from time to time, but I can't imagine it being something that uh, would have wide circulation in the United States. Perhaps it was, I don't know. Now, uh, besides the Australian Smiths Weekly, there was another thought I had. Now, my other option, folks, Mort Weisinger came to comics out of the pulp industry of the 1930s. And of course, comics and pulps are sort of joined at the hip as their genre. And many of the same people went back and forth between that. You know, it's just like the way movies and comics work now. They, um, these, were, these were the geeks of the Depression, as it were, for lack of a better term. Uh, there was a publishing firm called Street and Smith that uh, went back to the 1850s. Uh, centered in New York City 
and certainly they would have been known um, to the writers and editors of DC. Uh, Street and Smith, uh, the one of the mo most notable title was The Shadow, which of course, and Doc Savage as well, also came from their line, amongst many of the different pulps. And some of their authors that went through the Street and Smith uh, network uh, were people like Horatio Alger, Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, H. Ryder Haggard, even Jack London in the early days, and uh, Upton St. Clair, I guess, before he became a big-time novelist. You know, somewhere along the line, this is where Mort Weisinger is getting this Smith Weekly, and perhaps it's an amalgam of both. Street and Smith and Smith Weekly. At any rate, he's seen the name, and this is what stuff is flogging. So very interesting, I think, um, that they are giving some existing paper in some form a little bit of free publication, a little bit of free publicity. Uh, and you know, Whitney Ellsworth also might have been in that line too. He said, you know, throw Street and Smiths in there. Well, stuff is using um, in this building, and I guess he's just sort of a got a bit of a partly a little bit of luck that he happened to pick the building that the rainbow man was hiding out in and when he's going up and down the hallway flogging this paper the dictionary can't seem to resist this must be his favorite newspaper and he opens the door which infuriates the rainbow man so there's a bit of tension between this gang um, the leader and his, some of his people under him uh, Stuff, uh, when uh, moves are made towards him, Stuff throws his bundle of newspapers at the dictionary. And uh, the strange part about it, this is Rainbow Man is really uh, amused by the pluck of that Stuff has shown. And he goes, yeah, you, you had that coming to your dictionary. You really did. So Rainbow Man can never uh, resist getting into digs, into... Uh, in at these people. Let's face it, he just executed one of his own gang members. Rainbow Man even calculates letting stuff use the telephone to call Greg Saunders at the radio station. And I guess stuff must have uh, Greg's schedule figured out. And he asks Greg to call the vigilante. So at this point in time, stuff doesn't know that his buddy, Greg Saunders, and the vigilante are one and the same. It's funny, he can ferret out the Rainbow Man, but he hasn't figured out the mystery between, between that, uh, that red pair of cloth yet. Anyway, because comics don't never dwell on that sort of a thing. And of course, Rainbow Man beats up on him a child. So, he's a nasty boy. Well, Vigilante naturally comes to the rescue. Uh, comes in through the window. There's a pretty good fight. Uh, apparently, they're trying to use silenced guns, but one of them picks up a Thompson. And fires a short burst at him with the vigilante. Hits that rope again. But he's having issues with that rope lately, folks. Because he puts a little too much inertia into him. And he hits a medicine cabinet behind him. Breaks that comes crashing down upon his head. Oh, too many vitamins, I guess. Uh, either he's talking about his own strength. Or he's talking about uh, all the contents of the medicine cabinet gang takes advantage of that situation they give him the old flower pot over the head and then this is one of the most bizarre death trap that we've ever seen so far the rainbow globe 
And basically, this looks like something you might see out of science fiction. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not discounting that Street and Smith tie. Uh, it sort of looks like a, a big coil with a globe on top and several lights coming out of it. There's just a very impressive array kaleidoscope of lights that just turns and turns and turns. And Rainbow Man hasn't has uh, accounted for every eventuality so that they can't close their eyes. He pries them open, he tapes them right open so that they have to stare at this globe. And ties them, of course, to the chair. And then, of course, what does a bad guy have to do after he's set up his death trap? He has to leave, go do another job. But fortunately, nobody ever thinks to take the vigilante spurs off. And you know what? This time, that is actually a boon. And uh, he happens to be on his chair right next to one of those great big old steel radiators that they used to use for heating. Uh, if you don't know what that is, folks, it's uh, sort of a hot water exchanger. Uh, hot, you know, heat would come in and it would uh, circulate inside of it and, uh, of course, irradiate heat, not a forced air heat. And they were big and they were ugly and they were noisy at all times, especially when you bang spurs against them, which may have happened in hotels around the Calgary Stampede time. So when you heard the spurs in that, um, that actually was my spurs. I actually own a set of spurs. And I could have found one of those radiators in the museum I work at, but uh, I'm furloughed right now and I'm 30 miles, well, more than that. I'm 60 miles away from that museum, so I wasn't driving up just to make that uh, sound effect. So I had one of those good old great big steel hole punchers. So that's what I banged out the Morse code in. Oh, SOS. I should do some uh, work on that here while we're here. SOS is purely... Uh, the letter S and the letter O and the letter S again uh, in Morse code. Uh, three short dots, three long dots, three short dots. And Morse code, of course, is a form of binary code that was used uh, before the telephone was developed. Um, mostly in the 19th century, but, you know, used actually up until the 1970s in some railroad uh, applications. And uh, if you're ever familiar with the, uh, the movie Titanic or the, the event The Titanic, SOS came into being as the, uh, the international symbol that you would hear either on a train or on a, on a radio on a ship. And one of the confusions that they had with Titanic is that the uh, SOS hadn't been standardized. Before that, they had been using uh, CQD, and there was a resistance uh, between the Ar Marconi operators, that's the telegraph operators, on the, on the Titanic to use that. And they were using it sort of intermittently, and the other ships really couldn't tell what was going on. And so they were getting... Well, let's call it mixed signals. So after that disaster of the Titanic, uh, the London International Convention on Safety of Life at Sea adopted that, uh, that sequence, SOS, as the, the international standard. Now, there has also always been uh, myths that always go along with things like that, that SOS means save our souls. 
and if that works you fine but it's just the letter S and O uh, coming out of Morse code and if you don't think that uh, Morse code is something you need to know as I said it's a binary system and guess how your computer works today one oh oh one oh 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 one oh one 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 oh one oh one so that's enough of the shipping news for today we're back when white is our color today Rainbow Man and the orderlies, with the exception of the dictionary, because he has to stay in his fashionable tweed suit, have commandeered a white ambulance, and they have found out about a movie being premiered that evening called Doctors in White. And they have uh, come up with a very ingenious plan, I have to say, to pull up to the theater uh, where all of these stars are, are coming to this premiere, and they're going to rob them blind, dressed as ambulance attendants. And everyone uh, who comes there is going to think that this is a part of the publicity uh, for this Doctors in White movie. And of course, there's the stars there in their top hats and tails and very elegant gowns on the ladies. And the dictionary and Rainbow Man help themselves to a very commonly dressed woman. She's sort of got a uh, bit of a Morticia Adams thing going on to a $100,000 necklace straddling down from her neck and into her ample bosom. Of course, the Rainbow Man goes, well, this serves you right for wearing that sort of a necklace in public. And not that I'm trying to say that she shouldn't wear a necklace or own a necklace, but a uh, $100,000 necklace for a movie? in 1941 42 hmm that would have to be one heck of a movie i just watched oceans 8 last night and i find the concept of expensive jewelry just baffling to me mainly because i don't know anything about it if you gave me a ring out of a cracker jack box i would think i was a millionaire and of course we have a announcer here because whenever you had these premieres there were a lot of students uh, uh, stars were coming out while well, they would publicize this on the radio as well and that was of course usually paid publicity from the studios this SOS uh, apparently has been heard by someone when we don't see this happen it happens off screen allowing vigilante and stuff to get to the theater to confound the rainbow men's plan and then we start to get a little bit of rain and this is what I would call Chekhov's rainstorm over top of the thing and right in the middle of it comes vigilante and stuff. The newsman is here to be the uh, Expositional News Network, uh, copyright Michael Bailey. And through the whole rainstorm um, we have this great Donnybrook going on and I especially love the the smack there, the jujitsu throw that uh, stuff does on the dictionary it knocks him right back into the ambulance and he's even motor mouthing even while he's coming into the ambulance so once the fight start stops and I suppose the cinema begins our roving reporter is on to commercials again and he puts in a good word for Gordon's pills what are Gordon's pills well my name is Gordon stay away from my pills again Google Foo is your friend and I find in the chronicling America website and I only found this just by doing a general Google search. Late 1800s, at some point, I think it's out of New Orleans. They talk about a voice to the afflicted, Dr. Gordon's vegetable anti-bilious family pills. 
For the cure of bilious fever, yellow fever, remittent and intermittent fevers, inflammatory, neurons and putrid fever, pains in the head, side, back and stomach, inflammation of the brain, stomach, lungs, liver, kidneys, throats and chest, dropsy, scarifola, syphilis, sick headaches, rheumatitis, colic, dyspepsia, hysterica and low spirits and it just goes on and on and on. And, of course, underneath that is Dr. Peter's vegetable pills. So this seems to be, be the natural news of its day. Um, Dr. Peter Gordon's is just one of these so-called patent medicines. Uh, let's call it quackery. Let's call it what it is. Uh, uh, the president just passed, you know, might call it a cure for COVID. Who knows? So that's what Gordon's Pills is. Uh, so that must be just another commentary on Mr. Weisinger and his opinion on uh, patent medicine and quackery uh, in the 1940s. And I'm sure working in the newspaper industry and in the writing industry that uh, he probably wrote more than his share of those ads himself. And the uh, reason I called it Chekhov's Rainstorm, because just as the police are mopping things up and taking away the bad guys, the rain stops. And what comes out, of course, a rainbow. And that, of course, was a very uh, fortuitous thing, and I'm glad that Wesinger knew enough that you can't have uh, your story end with a rainbow if you haven't had the rainstorm yet, because that's the creation. So no pot of gold at the end of it for the Rainbow Man. And uh, we end with a plug for the uh, leading comics, which uh, has to be a, an allusion back to the, uh, the winter 1942 uh, edition that we actually covered uh, back a few episodes ago, leading comics number one, because we won't see leading comics number two for another couple of months. And as 1940 stories go, I thought this one was kind of very cleverly constructed. You know, there's no wasted space here. Rainbow Man does come off as significantly villainous enough. And he's got enough personality, you know, to goad his gang from time to time. Um, as I said earlier in the podcast, Rainbow Man will come up several times again. And I believe the dictionary... We shall see him one more time, one at least. So uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more definition to the dictionary. Dinky and Dixie, well, Dixie's gone. And Dinky, well, I just better be quiet. Lin Chu, we will see several times still down the road. And uh, stuff right now... He's We know he's Chinese-American, but he just looks like the average... Uh, good old you know Kirby-esque street kid he looks like he could go to the boy commandos he's just wearing a striped t-shirt and pair of brown walking shorts and he's got a newsboy cap uh, jauntily on his head as well so I'm enjoying stuff a lot um, he's very nervy he uh, there's a word for that that we tend to use you know he's full of piss and vinegar by the way piss and vinegar Worst potato chip Frito-Lay flavor ever. He, he, he's just got so much guts. And uh, as a Chinese-American, there's just no stereotypes to him. You know, he's not uh, mispronouncing things. And he's, like I said, he's just a, an American kid who happens to be, be Chinese. 
and uh, I think it's just a great portrayal and really a, f a lot of freshness. And remember, this is in the days over in quali Quality Comics when uh, even people like Reed Crandall are making Chop Chop, which is probably the most offensive Asian stereotype ever, if not the most offensive racial stereotype. All in all, lots of good action and another episode in which the vigilante leaves his guns at home, Ma, because he never pulls them out of the holster. He's got his gun belt on, and I think I should take a, a look as to see what he's wearing for a rig. He is wearing a single belt rig with two pistols, so one on each side. The, he, he never slaps the leather on him. And, of course, those spurs are just... They've been handier so far in the vigilante's life than his pistols have been. But I'm very anxious to see in the future what he does with a motorbike and how that evolves. Meskin's art, not too bad at the time. Um, color is really good. And for, <laughs> for a book called, the, or a story called the, the Crimes in Color and a villain called the Rainbow Man, you know, they better have good colors. And sometimes, uh, you know, Golden Age comics don't come across with the best coloring. There's a lot of bright backgrounds. There's lots of bright yellows, blues, greens, that sort of a thing. Uh, orange night skies and orange buildings, and a lot of uh, a lot of light. And of course, being Meskin, he's always very good with the shade whenever he can. And he's not providing as much detail in panels as he used to, but he's still got uh, a very original use of panels. I don't think any there's any two set two pages that have the sets of panels uh, alike. And my throat's getting raw, so that's enough notes right now. So maybe I'll let, uh, let somebody else do the station identification. A Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love saying that. Well, thank you, mysterious, irredeemable stranger. So let's have a peek in the old mailbag. And yeah, there's a few things in there. Uh, first, uh, email from to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Uh, from Dave McElvaney. Well, greetings, Ranger Gord. First, I should mention a slight neck technical glitch in this episode. Right after the opening stinger, the volume dropped drastically. So that even with my volume setting at maximum, it was a very difficult to hear your feedback section until the first podcast promo for Shirtbox Showcase, around the seven-minute mark, when the volume returned to normal and remained that way for the remainder of the episode. Yes, and I'd like to apologize to Dave or to anybody else who downloaded within the first 24 hours after the posting of episode 6. Uh, you know, all I can say was I flubbed it up. And basically, yeah, when you're doing multi-track recording and you have separate volume controls on each track, and for whatever reason, um, the music, on underlying music on the track and my uh, my vocal track for some reason flip-flopped the music was supposed to be low and I was supposed to be high and we got the opposite reaction to that fortunately it was only in that first opening remark six or seven minutes and um, and fortunately also that Dave was very very prompt with his emails and let me know so 
I definitely rectified that situation. I blew out the first uh, upload on episode 6 and uh, immediately reposted it. However, there is a possibility that if you're on a subscription that your, your, uh, your device or your computer probably still has that episode 6 downloaded. So if you have that problem, uh, just go back uh, to your podcatcher, download episode 6 again, blow the old one out, and uh, we sh- shouldn't have too many problems. So really apologize to anyone, for, to Dave and anyone else for that again. Um, da, 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 da. and Dave was nice it says it didn't affect my enjoyment but you might want to chase down what the problem was so you can avoid it in future episodes so yes we've done that um, Dave continues I think you did a very good job navigating the potentially difficult depiction of Asian Americans in this story thank you Dave and I think you're probably right that Mort Weisinger may have been more thoughtful than he is sometimes described as being as a Jewish man himself, he may have been sensitive to stereotypes and ill treatment of minorities. And let's just say Mort Weisner is a very complicated man. And uh, I would love to try to find a biography of him. But uh, I, don't, I don't think he is uh, quite as one-dimensional as he is, is portrayed. And most of those portrayals do come from his, of course time as editor on the Superman titles in the Silver Age in the 50s, 60s, early 70s. And of course, he was a, had a real reputation at that point in time. That's all I'll say. Uh, as always, Dave continues, I enjoyed the Radio Rodeo and your music choices throughout the episode. For what it's worth, Minnie the Moocher, um, that's the Cab Calloway song I played, was an actual person whose obituary appeared in the November 22, 1951 issue of Jet, a magazine targeted at African Americans. And uh, Dave contributes this quote from that uh, magazine of 1951. Death of the week. Minnie the Moocher has died. She was a familiar figure in downtown Indianapolis, an 82-year-old woman whose real name was Minnie Gayton. She acquired the quaint name of the Moocher by regularly begging food from grocers and calling, carrying it off in a baby buggy. She slept on doorways, on porches, and in garages. And during the record-breaking blizzard, her body was found on a porch blanketed with snow. She died from exposure, ironically, in a warm hospital bed. And That's a very sad story, but it is nice that the jet, at least... Uh, you know, carried that on. I'm sure that's something that Cab Calloway heard of. And finally, Dave finishes. It will be interesting to follow the path of stuff, Vigilante's new sidekick. I can't say I'll especially miss Betty Stewart, who just seems the lowest lane knockoff, but I'm glad she got a nice musical send-off with What Does She See from Ian Tyson. Thanks always for listening. fun listening. Live long and prosper, Dave McElveney. Uh, thank you, Dave. Yes, as far as Betty Stewart, I think there was a good character in there somewhere. It's just Mort didn't have the time to flesh her out or to do anything more with her than just be a a thorn in Greg Saunders' side for no real reason. I remember in the first uh, story where she was... uh, Tended to be used as a damsel in distress, but then turned around and smacked Killer Kelly 
in the face with her purse. So, you know, had they carried on with that and also carried on with the concept of her being a blues singer, you know, working in a studio next to Greg Saunders, the the cowboy western singer, I think that would have been a very neat dynamic had they carried on with it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, at least we won't have to see the... Uh, the half-assed Lois Lane version of her again. And now I have something completely different. Now, Apple used to have a great program called iTunes. It used to consolidate music, podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. That sounds interesting. Now I'm hungry. Remember the Alamode. Um, it's music, podcasts, movies, TV, all-in-one program. And I guess they must have found that unwieldy because in their infinite wisdom, in the new Macs, they have broken all of that up into different programs. So when you go into the Apple Podcasts program and you're in a foreign country in the United States, seems to think I'm a foreign country here in uh, about 30 miles off of the border, I can't read something called ratings and reviews which I used to be able to do in the old iTunes so what I have to do is go way back over into Apple Music click myself as to being an American God bless you basically uh, virtually cross the border then I go back to podcasts go back to my own podcasts and suddenly I see wow four five star reviews I'm not bragging, folks, because as I said, I always expected to be uh, this to be a very low-key niche podcast about a character that most people have forgotten about. It was just something I wanted to do. But I have very some, some very high-powered reviews that I'd love to share with you. First is from Billy Dunleavy, with, who with his partner Herman operates the uh, World on Fire all-Star Squadron podcast and Into the Weird, which is a story about Doctor Str- or a podcast about Doctor Strange and some of the uh, weirder goings on in uh, Marvel 1970s Bronze Age, and it's titled Golden Age Fun. This podcast is very niche but very fun as well. Anybody looking to hear about a Golden Age character that's still relevant today, listen in. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it. And from the great state of Iowa, birthplace of my grandmother, we have a review from Kyle Benning, host of the podcast King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, which is easier than saying your acronym, Kyle. So I I go, I'm hard to change. Uh, Kyle calls this the greatest vigilante podcast in the world. Well, if you know of others, I guess we are. Uh, The greatest podcast ever created covering the underrated DC Western hero Vigilante. Wow, the praise. Gord has excellent coverage and fascinating insights into the Golden Age adventure of Greg Saunders. Five stars. Thank you, Kyle. And from Earth 2 Chris, and if you don't know, that's Chris Franklin of Supermates, the JLU cast, the Fire and Water podcast, and Network, and so much more. And Chris says in his voice, Yeehaw! Ranger Gord is having a lot of fun covering a favorite comic hero of his, the Western-themed vigilante from the golden age of DC Comics. Gord's love of the character and his approach to, uh, to chronicling his adventures is infectious and fun. Highly recommended. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. It was fun trying to get your voice. 
and from a man known only to the world as Hulk Carr, although I have a feeling he lives in Pennsylvania, for fans of the Vigilante, fans of old-fashioned country western music and radio plays, dot dot dot, I was a bit familiar with the DC Comics characters Greg Saunders, the great Prairie Troubadour, a singing cowboy in the style of Gene Autry or Roy Rogers, who fights crime and injustice in the guise of the hero of the Vigilante. But I can't say I was a big fan. Ranger Gord brings the character and his adventures to life by reading his comic book stories in the form of radio plays, with different voices for the different characters, sound effects, and music that feels quite appropriate to the stories in the time period, early 1940s at this point. This is a fun look at a lesser-known Golden Age comic book character that holds my interest, lets me learn a thing or two, and keeps me coming back for more. Well, thank you there, Dave. I mean, Hulk Carr. Very appreciate And thanks to everybody for those uh, kind words and reviews. You can go ahead and do reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I will just sneak across the border from time to time and pick them up as needed. So for now, I'm just going to grab myself a a Pearson's Nut Roll and an American Coca-Cola, and I'm going to sneak back through the sweet, sweet grass hills and back across the border to home. And we will see you next for another edition of Prairie Justice. Yeehaw! Eh? In the corner of a dark bar room Said an old cowboy singing western tune Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email go to vigilantecast at gmail.com website is www.rangergordsroundup all one word at dot wordpress.com and we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the cowboy crusader vaya con dios compadres eh cause he's the last of a singing cowboy